there. Kids, that story of Joshua is one of my favorites, and it reminds us of a great promise of God. You know, in the, in the book of Joshua, this is just a quick aside here, the people of Israel are, are called a nation for the very first time, and the reason why they're called a nation for the first time, it's because all of the people crossed into the promised land of God, and when God's people occupied that promised land, they were finally God's people, fully. And those promises were guaranteed to him. And it's a very important promise for us to, to see and fulfill. So if you ever get a chance to read that story, look for that word nation because it's pretty cool. Because it just reminds us of the great promises of God. Because he'd been telling his people forever, I'm going to take you into a land and you're going to be my people. And my people are going to be a nation. So really a cool story. I'm glad, glad we watched that this morning. I always get inspired whenever I read that. Well, good morning and welcome back. We're so glad that you're here. For those of you that are joining us online, thanks for being here today as well. We'd love for you to just make a comment. Let's let us know you're there. We want to follow up with you throughout the week. We've been talking about uh, hope in hard times. And I want to uh, challenge you. I was sharing a story a little bit earlier this morning with some friends about uh, my kids. I've got a 21-year-old and a 20-year-old. And the, the things I'm learning as my kids are older and the decisions they're making and the things I'm seeing to come back to roost, I know that may shocked some of you that my kids are actually behaving like my wife and uh and we're struggling through that right now so pray for her no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i wish they actually were more like her but unfortunately i've got two that seem to be a little bit too much like dad so now you know exactly how to pray for her but something there's just something interesting about your kids and i don't know about you and, and maybe even if you don't have kids if you've ever spent time with a child playing a game or teaching them how to play a game do, do you let your kids win do, do you let do you do you do this now, now i'm not here to talk parenting philosophy but i do want to challenge you on a couple of thoughts here right because on one side i can see where you might let your kids win so that they understand the game and in, and understand that 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 elated feeling of what winning feels like right even though it's not really winning but on the other side do you not let your kids win because what you want to to teach them is that you have to learn the game and the better you learn the game uh, the more you're able to understand how that works. And if you understand how that works, then the game actually becomes more fun because you've earned the win. Now, so do you let your kids win? Many years ago, my, my mom and I were playing a game. I still remember this. Now, I've talked about my mother before, and I'll do it again. She's five foot four, mean as a snake, and I'm still scared of her. I always have been. And we were playing this game, and she just beat me, and I just could not stand it. I have a little bit of a competitiveness in me, but she beat me, and I was so mad at her for not letting me win that I was crying. I was just throwing a tantrum. I'm like, you're supposed to let me win. Do your kids ever do that? You're supposed to let me win. A apparently, a child understood the rules of parenting enough to coach my mother on what she was supposed to be doing to be a good parent. That did not bode well for me. Because it went from just playing a game to me throwing a temper tantrum to being a spoiled, you know, insolent child to punishment. Like the game was no matter the issue. Now it was about respect. It was about what I'd learned, what I, what I knew better than to talk to her about. And, and what mom actually was teaching me, and, and this, is, this is kind of the point I think we ought to make, is there's a real challenge in letting your kids win and not teaching them how to lose. Now there's, there's a whole ideal of gracious loser is still a loser, right? Let's just call it what it is. And then, of course, I could get on a rant of fun, fair, positive soccer, but we don't have time for that tonight. Because trust me, somebody's keeping score on that field, all right? But the difficulty with teaching our kids about letting them win instead of teaching them how to play the game and to, to, to take a loss with grace on some level is that when you do that, you're actually cheating your child. 
Because eventually, as Dad always said, and he was right, you're going to meet somebody that's smarter, better, funnier, stronger, meaner than you are, and you're not going to be prepared for them. You're not going to know how to handle the world because your mom lets you win all those games. And so when somebody whose mom didn't let them win those games beats you, you're not going to know how to deal with it. And you don't get to go back and blame mom for that later on, especially when you're 30 years old and the game of life is just kicking you in the teeth because somebody didn't teach you how to play the game and how to, how to deal with losses and struggles. Are you all with me on that? Do you understand kind of what I'm saying? Well, this is kind of what Peter is saying too. And we've been talking about uh, the, through the book of 1 Peter, and we, we call our sermon series Hope in Hard Times. And right now in our world, we've got some challenging times. And I think that Peter actually was on to something then, and I think we need to be aware of something now, that hard times are yet to come, that they're going to get more difficult, that they're going to be more challenging. And as Christ followers, if we read the Bible at all and believe any of it to be true, we need to believe that hard times are in fact coming, and it's going to be very difficult times. And, and so our verse that I've been wanting you to memorize, I'm going to put it up here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I want you to read this out loud with me. Remember, there's an exclamation point after the first sentence there. Because it's a great and wonderful verse up there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That living hope is the reason why we study this verse, but also the reason by which we can deal with hard times. And so for us to have an understanding of what a living hope is, let me go back to our parenting game scenario for just a moment. If you always let your kids win but don't teach them how to play the game and teach them strategies and teach them how to even to learn from a loss, you're not giving them a living hope. You're setting them up for a future failure. And when you set your kids up for a future failure, there's only so much you can do to dust them off and put them back and send them back out there. And especially if any of you know adults that you can tell as a child never learn the lesson of what it was to lose or to get beat or to have someone who is actually better than you are or someone who just out-hustles you. You may, sports fans may be interested to know that 1%, 1% of Division I college athletes go on to play professional sports, 1%. Those are Division I. The very best of the very best of the very best of the very best, 1% of them actually go on to play professional sports. That means yesterday, why the, the, the thousand that I literally mean it, thousands of people who were strewn out across the fields at Cinco Ranch High School yesterday playing football, that probably three of those kids will ever go on to play professional sports. Let's just let that just sink in for just a moment. 80,000 students in KDISD, you might see 10 of them possibly go on to do professional sports. That's a pretty small number, right? So does that mean the rest of us need to learn how to lose? No, it means the rest of us need to be good at something else. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy the game. Doesn't mean we can't play. Doesn't mean we can't play at a certain level. But it just means we have to have realistic expectations. And I do think sometimes many of us, whether it be sports or anything else, we have an unrealistic expectations. And when those expectations are not met, we crumble because we're not prepared for hard times in the future. And perhaps it was mom's fault for letting us win, or perhaps it's our own fault for just being very self-centered, very self-focused. But in reality, we're going to have to learn how to deal with hard times, and we deal with them right now. And if we're going to have a living hope, we need to understand that the beauty of this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is that no matter the situation, no matter the difficulty, that living hope doesn't change. And we can always count on that living hope to be true and faithful to us because God loves us. He's caused us to be born again of this living hope. And so let me ask this question to you this morning, and this is a question I really want you to chew on and ponder a little bit. 
as Christ followers, we're, we're told to go and cultivate hope. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because we don't really give hope because it's not ours to give. We give people the direction to the living hope who is Jesus. But in the end, they need to receive that. But we need to cultivate hope. So why do we cultivate hope? Why is it our responsibility for those of us who are in Christ, who have come to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the the forgiveness of our sins, why do we cultivate hope? That's our question for us this morning that I really want us to ponder and to think about a little bit of, of why is hope so important for us as Christ followers if we already have it and for the rest of the world who doesn't have it. Now, that seems like a pretty simple question on its surface. But let's just look at what 1 Peter chapter 1 says to us, or chapter 3 says to us. But the first thing is, is to, to inform you that we cultivate hope for the purpose of unity and compassion. It's really, really interesting of how many times we, we check the box and say, I've got this covered in my life and I'm good, I can move on with what I'm going to move on with. However, there's a reason why we have this living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the dead. Is so that we have been given a tool, we have been given the seed, we have been given the opportunity, we've been given the direction to go and cultivate that hope in other people so that they too might have this hope that we have. Not just so that we can enjoy it and go, ha, 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 the rest of you are in for a really bad day because we got Jesus and we got it covered. That's not how it works. We're called to cultivate hope for the purpose of unity and compassion. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, just in verse 8 alone, we see where Peter says this to, to, the, to his readers. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, that's a very interesting choice of words there. Peter, actually, in the very middle of 1 Peter, there's, there's, there's five chapters. In, verse, in chapter 3, he says, finally. So it's almost like he's getting to, to some conclusion because he's been setting us up in the rest of the other chapters. Now, I, I do want to say, ladies, real quick, I encourage you to go back and read verses 1 through 7 because Peter has a very good conversation about wives. And I just want you to know that we're not skipping that because I'm afraid of that today. I, we're skipping that because I want to get to a, a bigger point down the road. But, but Peter's writing to godly women who are possibly married to, to non-godly men. And he's encouraging them to endure with hope to pray for these men that they'll come to know this living hope in Jesus Christ. It's really actually pretty encouraging, especially for any of you whose husbands may be knuckleheads, okay? And so read that on your own this week. But when we get to this point in verse 8 where Peter says, finally, finally, in conclusion, what he's actually really doing is pivoting everything under the, 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 the device of love. And he's saying, look, We've told you over and over how important it is to love one another. So finally, I'm going to show you why that's so important. And Peter's getting to a really good why here. And it's important for us to cultivate love because for the sake of others, for unity and compassion. And no group has had a a worse image of what unity and compassion doesn't look like than the church, than the body. I've received multiple phone calls over the years of people asking for help. And I, I still have one gentleman on my speed dial who has called me religiously every month for the last three years with the same story and i've tried to help him but what i've explained to him a little bit is look you call me every month you tell me the same thing you're not moving forward and getting out of this situation and it's been the same situation for all these years your problem actually is probably deeper than anything i can do to just smooth it over for a month or smooth it over for a couple of months it's not that i'm not compassionate for you But what I see is that whatever I do for you today is not going to fix the long-term problem here. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not sure you want it to be resolved. 
I think you just want your problem to be fixed by other people, and that is not the role of the church. And, man, he'll just go off on me on what the role of the church is. And I asked him one time, because in the flesh, I'll, I'll confess, I got really frustrated with him because he was just letting me have it, just working me over. And I said, can you tell me where we first met? And he says, I've never met you. Really? We've never met. You call me asking for money. And now you're telling me how I should be operating as a pastor and as a church. I'm a little confused by this. How is it that you have a, uh, you have a line thank you, on how I'm supposed to be behaving, on what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe that's the Lord saying, don't tell the story like that. <laughs> Y'all want to see the pastor stand? Watch this. I said, look, I'm having a hard time with this. But you know what that man was actually saying to me? Is that you say something, but you're not showing me compassion. Now, let me just be clear on this. Just because I'm not doing what you want me to do doesn't mean I'm, I'm not helping you. Okay? And that's a hard lesson for a lot of people to, to learn. It's just because I'm not giving you what you want. And, and let's be fair. If you have a, a consistent, regular, ongoing problem month after month, year after year after year, the last thing I really need to do is listen to your advice on how to fix it. Because you obviously haven't come to that conclusion. And so for you to tell me how I can fix your problem is actually not going to fix your problem. I don't have a lot of confidence in that. But it doesn't mean that I can't deal with that situation with great compassion and great unity. And that's what Peter is saying to his readers. Listen, the rest of the world is watching you. And for the sake of unity and compassion, you need to cultivate hope. And you're going to cultivate hope by having, and that, that word at the very end, a humble mind. And here's what this word actually means. And, and I'm glad they used it in this context in the ESV and the NASV uh, I'm not sure what the NIV says, but this word, basically this humble mind, basically just means compassion. It just means that, that it means courtesy with compassion. It means that we should treat one another with a measure of courtesy because the rest of the world is watching us who have proclaimed Christ and saying, listen, when they're not even courteous to one another, when they're not even kind to one another, how are they going to be courteous and kind to other people? And when this is a challenge and a difficulty for them, with courtesy for their own people, how are they going to treat the rest of the world? And Peter is saying, actually, you've been called to a living hope. And in that living hope, it ought to alter the way that you just treat people on a civil level. How kind you are to them, how compassionate you are to them, how courteous you respond to whatever their issues may be. I don't know about you sometimes, but when people are constantly tugging and pulling and asking for stuff, my courteous goes short. And just to be fair... We've earned this in our own culture because do you know who the worst tippers are on a restaurant on what day? It's churchgoers on Sunday morning. We go in and expect a table. We expect to be seated now. We expect to have good service, and we expect to walk away giving them little to no tip whatsoever. Because why? Maybe we gave it church. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally sure what the mindset is on a Christian being a bad tipper. So let me just encourage you now. If you're a bad tipper, shame on you. Great shame upon you. I hope you get terrible service and bad food. I'll just call it right now. Because if you walk in in your Sunday best and your heels are clicking ladies on the concrete as you're walking in there, and, and if God forbid somebody says bring in a church bulletin, we'll give you a discount, please, for crying out loud, tip well. If for no other reason that you're, you're the example of Christ that they have today, that's it. And their example of Christ that they have today is cheap. You get me? You see where I'm coming from? Courteousness. Uh, look, let's be fair. You're going to spend that money somewhere, right? You're going to give that somewhere, somehow, some way. 
And so Peter is calling out to the Christians and saying, listen, I just want to go ahead and, and inform you now that you're, you're starting to build a little bit of a reputation. And so be courteous, be humble-minded, be caring for others. For the sake of the gospel, to spread hope, living hope to others around you, live this way. But he also says that we ought to cultivate hope for the future. Now I'm getting somewhere with this, so hang on with me. He says we ought to cultivate hope for the, for the sake of the future. And in the very next verse, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For uh, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. Now, I want you to stick with me for just a second. You've heard an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, I tell you that if someone takes, you give them even more, right? We've heard that story in the scripture before. But what Peter is actually identifying here is that as Christ followers, we have a way that we can respond. Now, we can do a couple things. If someone treats us with evil, we could respond with evil. And listen, all that is is satanic. That's really all it is. If evil is, comes upon us and we return evil back, we have a choice to respond that way. And we've all, all we've really done is reflected Satan. We haven't re- reflected anything of God in us. Now we can do the human thing. And if somebody does evil to me and I give evil back, or if somebody does good to me and I give good back, not to say that these people are evil and y'all are good, okay? But if I were just to repay in, in kind, if someone's mean to me, I mean back. If they're good to me, I'm good back. If I just do that and I'm consistent about it, I'm nothing more than just human. I'm really not acting in a manner that's any better than just what the flesh can actually hold out, right? But then there's another way that, that Peter's actually calling out here. And he's saying, listen, if, if what you do is repay evil with good, then you're acting Christ-like. You're showing and demonstrating the person of Jesus Christ. And you actually don't do that by the will. You do that by the purpose. And what I mean by that is saying it's not second nature for you. It's uncommon for you to behave that way. And so if someone treats you evil, then you need to repay that with good. And you need to give them back more than and better than. And so whenever we act that way accordingly, we cultivate for the preparation of the future. Now, why is this so important? And this is kind of what Peter is saying and why it's so important. It's important to us because right now we're not practicing like we're going to play. And when it comes game time and when that persecution comes, you're not going to be ready for it because you're not here for it today, right? It's kind of like that obnoxious sound that we're all paying attention to right now. We weren't prepared for that today. We didn't come to church thinking, I sure hope that the, that the ACs make all this crazy sound. And now that they're making all this crazy sound, we've all diverted our attention to it. We don't know how to listen to anything else, right? I wasn't ready for that. Let me tell you something. When the world finally gets to a place where it's going to be really, really bad, because it's not that bad right now, not as bad as it's going to be, if we're not prepared for that, for the future, it will kick us in the teeth in the future. If we're not practicing right now in the present for these types of distractions. And what Peter is writing to his readers at the time, he's saying this, look, you're, pers- you're getting persecuted for your beliefs in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The government, the, the, the church, the large entities, they haven't even gotten organized in their persecution yet. And until they get organized in their persecution, what you're getting now are just little one-off things. But when they get organized and then when they get systematic and when you start seeing where it's illegal to be a Christian or to go to church or that your life may be on the line for your profession of Christ, if you weren't prepared for that in the past because that little bit of persecution that came your way and you, 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 you didn't have to play the game and everybody told you it's going to be okay, that we'll all go get ice cream anyway. If that's how you lived your life in Christ as a mediocre Christian at best, not listening to the things, when the future comes and the real persecution hits you, you're probably not going to be prepared for that. And you need to cultivate hope now 
because down the road it's going to be necessary. And there are people who are watching you deal with struggles and difficulties and challenges and all these other things. They're watching you deal with those things now because they want to see what happens to you when the pressure really gets on, when bad things really start to happen. And this is Peter's calling him saying, please don't do that. Please pay attention. He's saying, don't repay evil for evil. Live an example as Christ would have. Turn the other cheek. There was a story many years ago about a professional boxer who became a pastor, and he would go out and preach these tent revivals. This was back in the 40s and 50s, and people knew who he was because of what he did in the boxing ring. And one night after one of these tent revivals, there was a couple old boys in the back that they stuck around for the pastor, and they, were, they wanted to talk to him about his boxing career. And they said, hey, pastor, why don't we go a couple of rounds? He goes, no, that's not the life that I have anymore. And he says, well, what if I walk up and pop you in the mouth? You going to fight back? And he goes, you know what, boys? He says, I appreciate, you know, my past. I understand where I come from. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. The scripture says that if somebody hits me on one side, I'm supposed to offer up the other side. He says, but I want to warn you boys right now. It gives no further instruction after that. The folklore says that the pastor took two on the chin, and that was the last because the rest of them didn't turn out so well, right? Hey, Christ followers. Listen, we're worried, we're concerned, we're frustrated, we're afraid. we got all these things that are happening in this world right now. And the rest of the world's watching us to see how are we going to respond to this. And we need to cultivate future hope for others in the present right now. Not just for their sake, but also for ours. Because this is training, this is practice. Jesus says in this world you will have troubles, but fear not, for I have overcome this world. He didn't say you have. He said he's overcome this world. And the way that we're actually going to make it through this overcoming of this world is to act more like Jesus. And if Jesus is going to have his beard plucked out, he's going to get spit on and a crown of thorns jammed onto his head, and he's going to do so willingly because he didn't do anything to deserve that, he's not calling us to the same type of thing. But he is calling us to live as an example to cultivate hope in others and how we respond. And I don't know about you, but i got a pretty quick trigger sometimes. And the more agitated I get, the more frustrated I get, the more worried I get, the more I, I, I let the world come in and I, I push out more of Scripture and less prayer and all that, the more I look like the world, the more I, 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 I get agitated and I don't act and I don't respond and I lash out and I don't act out and people are watching me and they're looking to me because I profess Christ. And they're saying, well, look, if these Christ followers are going to act this way, then I don't, I, I don't need any of that. I can just let this roll off. And what Peter's saying, there's a double side to that, is that when it really gets bad, you're probably not going to be prepared for that. So start practicing now. Finally, Peter ends this passage in verses 10 and 12, and he says we should cultivate hope because of our profound love for life. We should cultivate hope because of our profound love for life. You know, it's really challenging sometimes to think that a Christ follower doesn't love life, especially when Eeyore comes to church every Sunday. Or when you call Eeyore, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, kind of got this going on in my life. What's going on? Listen, I understand, and I don't want to take away from your, from your misery. I'm just going to ask you not to, to wallow in it. We all have bad days. We all have challenging times. We all have difficulties. And sometimes we, we need to sit down and just have a good cry. We need to sit down and talk with somebody and kind of ration it out. But we can't stay there. We can't live there. Christ didn't call us to a life, but he called us to a life more abundant. And if we're going to have an abundant life, we can't have an abundant life while holding on to all that sorrow and all that pain and all that disappointment and all those games we lost. We have that by saying, you know what, I can't change those outcomes, but I can change how I respond to that. And so we need to cultivate hope because we have a profound love for life. And we've got to have a profound love for life on many different avenues. 
First Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, as he kind of finishes this, this section, he says this. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, it's very important that we look at this passage of Scripture for just a moment, and we understand what he's saying. First of all, when he says, anybody who wants to see good days should have a desire to love life. i got news for you. Good days are not defined by this world. And so if you have your good days or your bad days, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to what eternal life's going to be like with Christ. The very worst day of Christ's life was our very best day on this earth. And so his very worst day was our best day, and none others have compared to that. And so a profound lover of life doesn't look and say, this is a good day, this is a good day. We look forward to those good days who only come from God. And if we don't have hope, a living hope that is in Christ alone, then those good days that we're looking forward to, they're never going to come. We're never going to get there because we're going to judge the world's hope and the world's good days by our standards instead of those others. He also says that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let me tell you something about Peter. Here's what we know about Peter. First of all, this is a funny story for this to be right in the middle of 1 Peter because Peter lied three times when asked about Jesus. And so here's a liar informing us how we should respond when someone looks to you for living hope. Why do you, why do you act the way that you act? Why, why do you let these bad things just kind of roll off of you? How do you deal with some of these situations? Is it because of Jesus? Oh, no, I never knew that guy. Three times this profound liar, Peter, lied about who Jesus was and who he was to him. And now here he is giving us advice. Do you know why? Because at some point, God restored him. Jesus himself restored him. And he told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He says, go and find purpose in your life, Peter, that reflects back to me. Instead of just being the one who lied three times, instead I want you to be the one who is restored by Jesus himself. And so here we have a guy who lied three times about Jesus because he didn't fully believe at the time that he was with him. Are you following me on this? He didn't practice during the time he had Jesus of seeing this living hope. And so when times got really, really hard, guess what? He reverted back to a worldly hope, not a living hope, and he didn't know how to respond because he wasn't ready for that. And so when persecution got just a little hard for Peter, there he is. He's the one that walked with Jesus. Oh, no, it's not me. I don't know this Jesus person. He lied through his teeth because he didn't have a full belief that was based in Christ alone. And that's why, as Christ followers, we must strengthen our belief in Jesus to see that the truth of God's word is always true, not a possibility, but an absolute. This is not a world that loves absolutes right now. But this is the absolute truth of God. And every word in here is breathed out by him, and it's good for us. And Peter just kind of understood a little bit. Jesus told the disciples over and over and over again, I'm only going to be with you for a little while. I'm only going to be with you for a short time. Would you pay attention to me while I'm here? And what he was reminding them was, if you don't pay attention to me while I'm here, when I'm gone, you're going to struggle. You're going to have a real hard time. You're going to have great difficulty. Whenever things got really, really hard for Peter, Peter buckled. He buckled and he failed, just like each and every one of us. So let me ask you again, why do we cultivate hope? We cultivate hope today because we're going to need it tomorrow. We're going to need it tomorrow. And in this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is sharing with, with the Christ followers of the day 
saying that you need to prepare for future persecution by enduring this light, small, temporary persecution today. And the better you prepare for it now, the more you're going to be ready for it whenever it comes to you full speed ahead, full blast, head on. Just like Peter failed those three times. It's also funny that Peter would actually make this comment about ears not listening because Peter's the one who cut the guy's ear off in the garden. I find that really interesting that he was the one and Jesus looked at him and goes, hey, I'm not leading the rebellion here. Put that thing away. Peter had more confidence and more faith in what he could do and his strength than he had in the Jesus that was right in front of him. And Christ followers, we're not a whole lot different today. And if we think things are bad, and look, we got it good in America. But in other parts of the, of, of the world, particularly in China right now and Iran right now, there's an underground church that is doing some amazing things, and God is rising up. And they're understanding what oppression is. They're understanding what persecution is. But to be perfectly honest with you, it hasn't even started to get bad for them yet. And look how much worse their, 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 their current life is than what ours is. And when it gets bad, and it will get bad, are we going to be prepared for that? Not prepared how to survive or how to struggle through this, but are we going to cultivate hope today because we're going to need it tomorrow. We're going to need it in the days ahead. And Peter's calling us out, and Christ gave him this divine word to talk to us about how important it is to have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not to have a living hope because of what may or may not happen. Not to have a living hope because we're, we're doomsday preppers. I have a, a dear friend. He, um, I call him my arms dealer because he's one of those class three, and I, I like to target practice and to shoot. Some of you know that about me. But he calls all of his neighbors liabilities. And I've, I've, actually, I've actually cautioned him about this. I'm like, come on, Phil. You know, buddy, you've got to love these guys a little bit different, right? You can't call them liabilities. Like, look, here's the thing. All of these people that live around me, they're coming running to my house when things get really, really bad. He says, so they're all liabilities to me. I'm like, Phil, I understand that. I said, well, are you going to keep the door locked? Are you going to you know, keep them you know, away from you or whatever? He's like, I, you know, I really don't know. He said, but I'm just telling you now, they're all liabilities to me. I'm like, they're your neighbors, man. He goes, no, they're liabilities. They're going to come take my stuff. They're going to come you know, expect me to protect them and do all these other things. I'm like, I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. But what Phil does understand and what he does get, and I love him for this and I appreciate him for this, is that he's trying to prepare for today because he knows what's going to happen down the road. Now, just to be clear, I don't think there's any measure of doomsday prepping that any of us can actually do that's going to resolve all of the issues that we're going to have. I actually love watching that show on Netflix, if any of you ever watched that show, because everybody's got a different plan on how they're going to do it. And it's like, not all of you can be right, right? And so if not all of you can be right, that means most of you are going to be wrong, and the possibility of even one of you actually being right is actually pretty low. But i got a better answer for you. It's the living hope of Jesus Christ. And so no matter what goes on in the rest of this world, I may not have enough food, I may not have enough water, I may not have, you know, a nuclear suit to wear, you know, out in public. I may not have all, whatever the case may be, but I do have Jesus. And I need to cultivate that hope in Jesus right now because I'm going to need that hope in the future. Because let's be honest with you, when everything else is gone or hard or difficult or impossible to get, the only thing I'm going to have left is hope. And an optimistic hope only says maybe the situation will get better. But a living hope says Jesus is the answer. And no matter what happens to me, he holds me in his hand forever and ever. I'm his. And this world can do whatever it wants to me. And it will. And it won't ask permission. But Jesus will always love me. And he's got me forever and ever and ever. And I can, I can rest in that promise of God. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate this hope? Let me share with you four quick ways. First of all, we make the most of every situation. Every situation. 
we understand over and over that whatever opportunity we have to tell somebody about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a major importance to us. It is a command of Christ that we would declare him to all the nations, to all the people, to all the world. That we would show them this Jesus by how we love one another. It's one of the things that, that marks us as Christians in what Peter was speaking against. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Hey, if we're living in evil days right now, if we're living in evil days right now, we need to practice and prepare for hopeful days down the road. Because if we think these days are evil, just wait and see what's going to happen whenever the return of Christ comes, when the Antichrist is actually turned loose upon the earth, when we start to see really bad things happen. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor, that's gloom and doom and scary. That's Scripture. That's truth. Bad things are going to happen, and we need to be prepared for that, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbors. That passage goes on to complete with, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we endure, and we don't endure by our own strength, we endure by the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ alone. Make the best use of your time. The second thing we can do is guard our tongues. Oh, man, can he get through a sermon without telling us to be quiet? No. It's funny because the Scripture talks to us over and over and over again about guarding our tongues and about not saying certain things, but it also tells us the things that we should be saying. Now, I don't know about you, but my mouth has gotten me in trouble more than once today, let alone the rest of my life. And sometimes we've got to be very, very cautious but Psalm 141, verse 3 and 4 is a great psalm for us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. To busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. It's really easy for us to get pulled into bad talk, bad language, bad ideas, bad conversations that aren't edifying to ourselves or to the God that lives within us, right? And so he's just saying, God, teach me to be smarter about that. He's not actually telling me to stay away from, from people who don't think the same way that I do, people who don't believe it. He's not telling me to do that. He's just saying to guard your tongues because actually you have control over that if you'll submit to the Lordship of Christ. And in submitting to the Lordship of Christ, he actually uh, allows you to, to uh, have a better control over your tongue. And the tongue gets us in more trouble than anything else. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And, and it does a lot of damage or it can build up. And so guard our tongues. The third thing is, we do good and not evil. Now, I know this sounds pretty simple for us to do good and not evil. I mean, uh, Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we should continually do good, especially to those in the household of the Lord. But, but, but we don't do good out of wish. We do good out of will. And so we have to be purposeful about doing good. And sometimes it's not enough just to not do evil. We have to actually do good, too. And we do good. And I don't know about you. When you do good, you feel a little better. There is a, a, an endorphin level that's released a little bit. But doing good is not just about feeling better. It's about the obedience that we have to Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. We actually talk about what sin actually does to us and how we can combat that and how we can put a chokehold on that. Because it says, For godly grief produces, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And, and I say this in context to help us to understand that if we're not tired of our sin, if we haven't had enough of our sinful nature, if we haven't done the things we shouldn't be doing anymore, if we don't hate sin so much that it makes us sick, we're only producing a worldly grief. And let me tell you something, a world in turmoil, a world that is struggling with the persecution of, of creation breaking apart and, and clashing against itself, trying to cry out to the Lord for a people who won't cry out to him, let me tell you something. It's going to be a worldly grief, and it's not going to save anybody, but a godly grief will turn our hearts back to him. 
and we'll turn back to him in such a way that we won't do evil, we'll do good. And we'll do good not because we're compelled to do so out of fear, even though a, a healthy fear of the Lord is good. We'll do so because we know that the Lord is good. And we hate sin so much because of how it separates us from God that we want to do good so that we're not separated from our Creator. And the reason why we want to do that is because according to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again and brought to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's not any power that I have. It's because of God's mercy that He brought me back to be born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when that's the case, I can do good and not evil because I hate sin in such a way that God hates sin. And I don't have to muster up some power like we talked about last week or some optimism. I have that because the living hope that is in me is Jesus Christ. And so I can cultivate hope by doing good and not evil, and people are going to watch how I behave. They're going to see how I live. And finally, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is that we seek peace in all circumstances. And I think this right here may actually be one of the greatest challenges that we're suffering with today is understanding what real peace is. There was a policy many years ago about about peace under any circumstances. And the idea was that we might build up a military, we might have the threat of the ability to strike. And for some people, they said we achieved peace, but we did it at a great cost. That's not the type of peace that I'm talking about. I'm talking about peace with your creator. I'm talking about peace with the one who hung on a tree for you. And we seek peace in all circumstances. In the, in the Beatitudes we see in Matthew chapter 5, 9 and 10, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the children of God, those that reflect the image of God and they carry his name, those that are his forever. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, sometimes, I know, people don't always want to pursue peace. But as far as we're able to, we should pursue peace with everybody as far as we're able to. And when somebody is in our world who doesn't want to pursue the same peace, who doesn't seek after that the way that we do, we have a choice of how we respond. We can repay evil for evil. We can repay good for good and evil for evil. Or we can just repay good or or repay evil with good. And what we're saying is that that the battle is not going to get won because you decide that you don't want to be in it. You don't have a choice about this. If you've declared Christ, you're going to be in the middle of this. And it might feel like you're in it right now, and it's nothing compared to what's coming in the future. And this is what Peter's trying to encourage us to understand and to live by. But what he is saying is this, that when others are not pursuing peace, when they're not looking for that, if you're going to find yourself in a battle, don't show up alone. Bring God with you. Bring God with you to that battle. And if you're not practicing that in these times right now, under minimal persecution, under challenging, difficult times that you just don't like and don't feel good about, when it really gets hard, when it really gets bad, you're not going to be prepared for that in the future. We're not winning because things are just a little easier on us right now. We're actually being placated into submission, to be perfectly honest with you. We're actually enjoying that things really aren't that bad for me. And when they do, we're going to crumble and we're going to fall apart. And Peter is, is saying in, in just a matter of words here in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, is that God is telling you exactly what's going to happen. And what we actually have a difficulty with is we want to know when it's going to happen. And what Peter is saying is God exists outside of time and space. And if you're trying to, to, to see how long you can go before you submit to the Lordship of Christ, it's going to be upon you before it's too late. And you're not going to be able to make that decision anymore. I was friend today, he asked me about preaching funerals and and, and weddings, and I said, I actually prefer funerals. And he goes, really? That makes sense. You're kind of a sick, morbid individual. And I said, thanks, friend. I appreciate you for that. I said, no, I actually prefer funerals. And the reason why is because for me, a funeral is a, is a greater opportunity for us to express the reality that our life is going to end on this earth, but that God promises eternal life. And that for so many people, we wait to the very end, and we've missed out on the life more abundant in this life and in preparation for the next 
And God wants us to have that. And if we're not serious about all the things that will be coming down the road, I'm not saying live in fear. I'm not saying that we, we, we barricade ourselves and keep ourselves from all the influences of the world. We have to live in this world, but not of this world. We have to be a part of what goes on in our society. We need to get out and interact with people. We need to be the, the demonstration to lost people that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. But I'm saying we got to do so with far more intention of just saying, yeah, things really aren't that bad. Because they're going to be. And when they are that bad, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Christ is calling us to more of this. Peter essentially does something that I want to challenge you to this week, and that's to read Psalm 34. Because in this passage of Scripture, in these five verses here that we went through today, Peter essentially just kind of walks through all of Psalm 34. And so I'm going to encourage you this week to read and to meditate Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 8 tells us this, Taste and see that the Lord is good, and He is. Let me tell you something. You don't take somebody else's word that cheesecake is good. You taste it for yourself. You know that for yourself. And God is calling us and inviting us to this living hope to taste and see that He is good. And He wants us to taste and see what is good because if you're like me, you remember those good meals, right? You remember those things that, that, that bring back all those memories of a great time. And what Peter is saying is you prepare your hearts and minds right now in a living hope in Jesus Christ so that when times get bad, the hope that you've cultivated in yourself and in others is going to stand strong and true. And we may not get the same opportunity that Peter gets to be restored by Jesus himself directly, but we've been given an opportunity that Peter also had, was that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are restored in him if we will but believe in him and give our hearts and souls and minds to him forever. That's what he wants for us. Friends, the days are evil, and they're challenging, and they're coming upon us, and persecution is not here yet in the level that we're thinking. It may be hard sometimes. It may be tough, but it's going to get worse, and we need to be prepared for that, and there's no measure of worldly preparation that will actually do that. It's all going to come from the submission to the Lordship of Christ by cultivating hope, by actually believing in the hope of Jesus and living that way in our own lives and demonstrating that in others. We're not called to do this alone. We have the blessing of the church. We have the blessing of other believers. We have the blessing of the promise of Christ that we're not here doing this on our own. But even if we were, Jesus would be with us all the way through the very end. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he has given his heart and his soul and his body and his blood for us. And, Lord, I know that that we enjoy a level of persecution in our country that we can just kind of fluff off sometimes. But a day is coming, Lord. And we ought not fear that, Lord. We ought to just be ready and prepared for the reality that Christ loves us and died for us, but he didn't leave us high and dry. He prepared us to endure the things that are coming. Because this world is temporary, Lord, but the promise of eternal life is forever and ever, and God, we thank you for that. And so, Lord, I pray today for anybody who might be struggling with a living hope to understand why bad things are happening to good people in this world, why difficult times are coming, why why people are getting sick, why we're losing jobs, why no conversation can take place until we talk about politics and argue at one another and point fingers at people. God, as we look at these types of things by the world's standards, things aren't like we want them to be. But the truth and the reality is that you are setting us up for victory, not for defeat. And, Lord, that victory only comes because of our belief in Jesus Christ alone. God, we thank you for that sacrifice made, and we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Friends, this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And if you haven't gotten one of those...